Well, welcome to Wilshire today, everyone. We are glad to have you here, especially if you're visiting. We, uh, Wilshire has always been an interesting church to me because most churches on holidays like Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving usually swell. We have lots of visitors and lots of other people. Wilshire tends to shrink on days like that. You guys notice that? We have a lot of young families, a lot of people who go visit grandma and grandpa or mom and dad across town or in different states. And so uh, we especially appreciate our visitors today and we're glad to have you here. Some of the holes in our auditorium are the result of um, some of our youth families staying over in Rogers, Arkansas. A lot of us were up there for LTC, Leadership Training for Christ, had a wonderful weekend, got to uh, see our youth group represent Wilshire extremely well yesterday. You guys be very proud of them. And uh, I hope that next Sunday evening you'll make plans to be at Wilshire to see this as our young people uh, show you what they've been doing for the last several months in Bible quiz, Bible bowl, and song leading, and preaching, and drama, all sorts of great stuff. Some of you have been coaching and helping with that. Uh, we're grateful for that. But it was a great weekend. So some of the holes in the pews are from people left over from that. So we are glad that you're with us. Well, it is Easter, and Easter is a lot about traditions. It seems to be one of those days where we like to worship with our families. I don't, I don't know why that is. Just historically, we want to be home with our families. Uh, Delaina and the kids drove over to be with her parents last night, and I rode home with Tony and Amber and Charlie last night. Um, but everybody likes to be with their family on Easter, and we do interesting things. We, we like to to dress our kids up in special new clothes. You know, wearing a cute little dress that we bought. Or a, When I was a kid, I used to have to wear a suit on Easter. Maybe that's why Easter just always annoyed me as a kid. Never did I have to wear a suit any other day, but on Easter, you got to put on the suit. It's like you get extra credit. Or we, we hunt Easter eggs on Easter. It's what you do. Or how many of you, how many of you right now have a ham cooking in the kitchen. Anybody? Come on, raise your hand or it's going to kill my illustration and the rest of the story. Yeah. Ham, what is it with ham and Easter? Now, I'm not the first person to have this thought, but I love what a friend of mine posted, Wayne Roberts, posted this on his Facebook page this week. Easter, where we celebrate the greatest Jew that ever lived by serving ham. thought about the irony of that we celebrate a Jew with ham now as strange as that may seem we're in Acts chapter 10 that kind of explains that this morning that was not by design Jim said I'm going to be out of town preach on Cornelius and as I started reading Acts chapter 10 I thought that's strange that kind of explains why we're eating ham Never read your Bible that way, have you? So Acts chapter 10, if you have your Bible, I will walk you through this remarkable, pivotal story in the life of the young church as they're growing and they're leaving. Remember, the church starts in Jerusalem where Jesus says, I want you to start in Jerusalem. I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And gradually as the book of Acts moves along, we see that expansion taking place. We start out in Jerusalem around the temple. And then we see 
uh, missionaries or, or members of the church kind of growing out in the Judean countrysides. And then we end up in Acts 8 in Samaria. And the church is growing and growing and growing until you get to the end of the book of Acts where Paul is sitting in Rome, the uttermost parts of the earth. But to get from Jerusalem to Rome, a lot of stuff has to happen. And a lot of minds have to be changed. And a lot of gospel has to take root in people's lives. The story of Acts chapter 8 is an incredibly pivotal, pivotal, that's not even a word, pivotal story in the life of the church because you have a clash of cultures and stereotypes and prejudice have to be torn down for this to happen. If the gospel is going to go everywhere, we got to convince people that the gospel is for everyone. And that happens in an interesting way in Acts chapter 10. Now, to understand what's going on in Acts 10, you got to kind of know a little history of the Jewish people and why they don't eat ham or bacon or lots of other things. And you find that history kind of back in Leviticus chapter 11. We're not going to walk through all of Leviticus chapter 11, but that's where you get this kosher food laws, kosher meaning appropriate. Even today, Jews don't eat, Orthodox Jews, very religious Jews, don't eat pork and other sorts of foods because of Leviticus chapter 11. You can buy Hebrew national hot dogs today so that you can be Jewish and still eat hot dogs and not violate kosher law. You, you can go to Jewish butchers today so that you know your food hasn't been tainted with unclean, unkosher foods. It, it still continues. But it starts back in Leviticus chapter 11, when God is separating his people out and trying to convince his people you are a different sort of people. You live differently, you, you eat differently, you define yourself differently. And so in Leviticus 11, you've got these interesting laws. For instance... You could, you could eat animals that chewed the cud and had a divided hoof, but you couldn't eat an animal that did one but not the other. You couldn't eat a camel. I've never had the desire to eat a camel. But I watched a show the other day where they were eating camel. You, you couldn't eat pigs. You couldn't eat rabbits. You could eat of anything that swam in the ocean as long as it had scales and fins but if it only had one and not the other, it was literally off the table. And scholars have wrestled with why in the world does God even care about the food that they eat? And scholars have thrown out different and various opinions. There was an old book that came out a few years ago, several years ago, None of These Diseases. And it argued the premise that what God is trying to do is protect the Jewish people from certain sicknesses and illnesses. That comes through eating some of this food. If you eat pork that's not cooked right, you're going to get sick. And God says, you don't have thermometers yet, so let's just hold off on the pork. It wasn't quite that simple. But one of the theories is God's trying to protect him that way. But another theory that I think matches kind of the story of Acts 10 and what you see happening in the church, the things that are forbidden in Leviticus chapter 11 are things that don't fit clearly in one category or the other. It's supposed to be this way, but it's not. And God says, you are a holy people, and I want there to be a clear distinction between who you are and who the world is. So you grew up Jewish. 
And one of the things that defined who you were and what it meant to be Jewish, it's part of our national identity, it's part of who we are. Everybody knows what I stand for. I'm Jewish, so I don't order off of that menu. I don't go to that restaurant. I don't eat at that market. And if you didn't share food, you couldn't share the table. And God's concern in the Old Testament was, I don't want my people in the Old Testament mixing and intermingling with people who are going to lead them away from me. And if you can't share the table with them, you take away that matter of influence. You see, you didn't eat with just anybody. And so this comes with a lot of problems and challenges. The book of Daniel, a few Sunday nights ago we talked about Daniel. When Daniel gets carried off into captivity, one of the first things that they have to decide, how can you be faithful to God if you don't have your land, if you don't have your king, if you don't have your temple, what does it mean to be faithful to God? And early in Daniel chapter 11, when King Nebuchadnezzar serves this food, Daniel says, you know what? I'm not going to eat the food of the king. I'm Jewish. We do not eat that stuff. And one of the things that brings about this wonderful blessing in Daniel's life is that he stayed true to the law of God. Now fast forward to Acts chapter 10. Peter is minding his own business, staying in the house of a guy named Simon the Tanner. We'll talk about him in a minute. And Peter goes on the roof to pray at about noon. Now the interesting thing about the way the text introduces people is it it shocks you and makes you decide whether to believe the old stereotypes and prejudices you've always had in life. Peter's going to see a vision. And pardon the pun, but Peter's going to be a little pig-headed about the thing. It's hard for Peter to wrap his mind around what he thinks God is saying. Luke picks up the story in chapter 10 of Acts. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while, he was being, while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep coming down, being lowered to the ground by the four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. And he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What, he, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. And suddenly it was taken up to heaven. All, Peter is praying and hungry and he sees weird visions. He can't figure out what this means. God says, Peter, have some lunch. And Peter says, no, I can't eat what's in that sheet. There's clean and unclean animals, and the fact that the unclean animals are in the sheet with the clean animals makes the clean animals unclean. I can't eat any of that. And Peter's mind is probably trying to rationalize this, or at least figure it out, thinking, okay, 
I've seen this before. This is a test. God wants to know if I'm going to be faithful to kosher laws or not. I'm not going to eat it. And God almost literally three times beats him over the head with this. Peter, I said eat. Three times. And Peter is trying to figure out what this has anything to do with anything. Peter fits the stereotype that we have for Jewish people. But before the story of Peter's vision is introduced, Luke introduces you to someone else. And his name is Cornelius. Cornelius does not fit the stereotype of Gentile people. Luke introduces Cornelius as someone from the Roman or the Italian cohort. He is a centurion, a leader of men, a prominent leader of men in Caesarea. Caesarea is kind of a, a prominent military community of Rome. You all know what they say about the Gentiles, don't you? You know how rotten the Gentiles are. I mean, plug in your favorite stereotype. The Gentiles do terrible, awful things. Their sexual morals are disgusting. I mean, Jewish kids grew up being told about how Roman soldiers and Gentiles would take their women and force their women to have abortions and throw everything into the sink and everything into the drain or the, the pot that they would carry out. And the houses were disgusting. You don't want to go in a Gentile house. We know what Gentiles do at the temples. It's disgusting. The last place you ever want to go is to a Gentile's house. And they worship other gods. They worship foreign gods. They do the weirdest things. And so when you read in Luke, in Acts chapter 10, that Cornelius is a Roman soldier, you think, well, we know about him. We all know how they are. Show me one centurion soldier and you've shown me all of them. They're all the same. They're all alike. You realize stereotypes and prejudice is just lazy brain work? Instead of looking for someone at who they are and who God created them to be, we just assume they're all alike. Aren't you glad we're past that? We even make movies like that. This is an old movie. Remember, white guys can't jump, white men can't jump. And when we meet someone who violates our stereotype, we don't know what to do. We literally don't know what to do. There's a fascinating social science survey that was done. We live under this assumption that people most like us are the people we like the most, right? The more like me you are, the more I'll like you. Well, they took this research and they put people in a room and asked them, explain what you're going to do for your summer. They were college students. And in their explanations, they broke the stereotypes of what we expect someone of that race or someone of that gender to do. And they broke the stereotype in a way that made them more like me. And what the research showed was we prefer our stereotypes to stay intact. Even though you're more like me, you're supposed to be like this. And so we liked the people in the research that were more different, but fit the stereotype. We're broken people. Cornelius is introduced in Acts chapter 10, and he does not fit any of the stereotypes of Roman centurions. 
Luke describes him like this. Luke says that he is an honorable man. That he is a devout man. He is a God-fearing man. He's been praying at 3 o'clock. That may just seem like a random reference, but that's what time the Jews go to the temple to pray. This is a man who has given alms to God. This is a man that the Jewish people speak highly of. He is as Jewish as a Gentile can be. So when he enters the text, he's unexpectedly there. And unfortunately, the Gentiles had their own stereotypes of Jews as well. Here's how one historian said, One of the reasons that Gentiles gave for having nothing to do with the Jews is because they were too high society. The Jews wouldn't eat pork. And you know, pork is the cheapest thing on the menu in the first century world. The Jews won't eat the cheap food. Friday night we went to dinner. I went to dinner with Tony Rose. And I could order steak or I could order pork chops. And the pork chops were cheaper. But I wanted steak. And after we ate and Tony paid for my meal, I was glad I got the steak. But even today, steak is more expensive than pork. And the, the Gentiles will look at the Jews and say, they're too good to eat the cheap meat. And you know what? Jews are lazy. Because once a week, they demand a day off. Nobody gets a day off, but they say Sabbath, and they want to take the day off. You see, the Gentiles had their stereotypes of the Jews as well. And so here Cornelius is praying one day, and Cornelius sees a vision that says, send to Joppa and get Peter. And at approximately the same time, Peter is praying, and God is saying, Peter, have some ham. Peter, eat the meal that you've never wanted to eat before. And Peter can't figure it out until suddenly he gets a knock on the door. And it's men from Cornelius sent to take Peter to the household of Cornelius. Luke tells the story that Peter welcomes the men. And he goes with them all the way to Cornelius' house. But before Peter ever walks in the house, you have to realize this is an awkward situation for any Jew. He's standing in the front yard of Cornelius. And it's not just Cornelius. He's got company. He's got his house and he's got other Gentiles. I mean, this Gentile house is flooded with other Gentile people. And this Jewish man is there with six of his friends outside the door. And Cornelius walks out and bows himself before Peter and begins worshiping. And you know in Peter's mind and all these Jewish guys' mind, see, that's what Gentiles do. They worship anything that moves. And Peter, if Peter walks in that doorway, everything changes. If Peter crosses the threshold into Cornelius' house, it's a game changer. And he does. When he walks in the house, here's what Luke says happens. Peter enters his house in verse 25. Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him, falling at his feet, worshipped him. And Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I'm only a mortal. And as he talked with them, 
he went in and found that many had assembled. He walked into Cornelius' house. And he says to them, you yourselves know that it's unlawful for a Jew to associate or to visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. Do you realize that Acts 10 is not as much concerned about the conversion of Cornelius, it's about the conversion of Peter. Do you know what it takes to push this Jewish guy into this Gentile house? But he does it. God was trying to show Peter that that food law, that food distinction between clean and unclean, was a way of keeping my people holy and set apart. But Peter, I want you to know, you can eat anything, but you've got to eat it with Gentiles too. That you can share the table now, that you can be in the kingdom of God together now. Peter, it's okay to go to Cornelius and sit at his table. And so Peter walks into the house and Peter starts to preach. And in the sermon, Peter talks about the story of Jesus. It's the same story that was in Acts 2 and Acts 3 and Acts 4 and Acts 7 and Acts 8 and Acts 9 and Acts 10. The same sermon preached to the Gentiles that was preached to the Jews. And I want to show you why. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. And underline this one in your verse, your Bible. He is Lord of all. It was Peter who on the day of Pentecost said, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. And it's Peter now who has to be hit upside the head three times and convinced that everyone means everyone. And the reason Jesus is Lord of all based on his sermon is because God has raised him from the dead. If the resurrection is true, if the tomb is empty, then Jesus Christ is Lord of all. If Jesus is raised from the dead, and if the tomb is empty, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Not just people who look like you. Not just people who live like you. Not just people who are like you. Jesus is Lord of all. And God is pushing Peter to walk in that door and to preach the same message because Jesus is Lord of all. Peter, you can have the ham now. You can have the bacon now. But when you eat it, I want you to understand, call nothing unclean that God has declared clean. So that means go eat with Cornelius and sit at his table. And we're past time, but I want to show you one more thing that's fascinating about this story. 
Luke, for some reason, wants you to know where Peter has been spending the night the last few days. It starts at the end of Acts chapter 9. Peter's been doing some miraculous healing, staying in Joppa, staying in the house of a man named Simon the Tanner. And Luke will tell you two other times, chapter 10 and verse 5 and chapter 10 and verse 32, that Peter's been staying at the house of a tanner. Now when I travel, I put a lot of thought into where I'm going to stay. I don't want to just stay at some hotel, some place. I do some research, I want to know where I'm staying. I took the lane on our five-year wedding anniversary years ago, and I wanted it to be perfect. We went to Florida, and I wanted to stay on the beach, and I wanted to have an ocean view from our room. I researched the hotel, and I showed up, and I thought I'd done just fine. And so we walked in the room, and our ocean view hotel meant you looked way to the left, past the dumpster, and you could see the ocean. <laughs> Not my finest moment. Peter is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. You know the irony of that? Tanners were the most unclean trade in Jewish life. Because Jews did not touch dead animals and dead skins. And that's all a tanner would do. You would take the carcass of a dead animal and you would... You would dry it, you would hang it, and then you would turn it into other things. In fact, he's also by the seaside, which we know from history is where tanners lived, so their stench from their place could go out to the sea and fresh air come in. Tanners were the most unclean people in Jewish thought. Peter is willing to stay at the house of an unclean Jew, but he has to be beat up on the head to go to the house of a very sincere Gentile. Because his prejudice keeps him from seeing the inconsistency. But thanks be to God that Peter figured it out. That Jesus is Lord of all. All of you. All of us. There's one other message that I think is extremely important to notice. Cornelius was a good man, righteous man, gave alms and prayed. But Cornelius still needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to be a good person. It's not enough just to give money to the poor, to come to church on Easter, to come to church every other Sunday of the year. Without Jesus Christ, all of us are hopelessly lost. And even in Cornelius' goodness, he and Peter had this in common. They were lost without Jesus. And God says, Peter, the gospel is for all. So I want you to go, and I want you to share the gospel with a Gentile. Because through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it has been declared once and for all, that Jesus is Lord of all. This morning we offer the invitation of Jesus Christ to everyone in this room and to everyone we meet, whether they look like us, live like us, or have anything in common with us. 
The same gospel that saved Peter, that saved Cornelius, that saves us, is the same and only gospel that will save them. And so we offer the invitation in the name of Jesus to all who need to come to faith in Christ and begin their walk with Him. Would you come as together we stand and sing?